WMCHD3 Detroit, KMPSHD3 Seattle, WBMXHD3 Boston, and on AOL Radio and Yahoo Launchcast. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now 248 545 Soul. New SkyRadio.com. Can buildings and whole towns be ghosts? If you clearly visit a place only to return to find that it's gone, what does it mean? What happens if you wake up in the morning and your surroundings are not what they were when you went to bed? You just go back to bed. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess. I've done that. Uh, I don't know. So, welcome to the uh, 416th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those unusual questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So this evening, I will interview my dad on one of the more unusual of his unusual activities. So it's kind of a, what's the word? Redundant. Redundant. Yes. Yeah. Uh, research, researching stories of phantom places as his unusual activity of the unusual. So my dad, or so, not my dad. So dad, ghostly buildings in phantom towns uh, usually don't come up in the uh, pop paranormal media. So what's it all about? Well, like it or not, I am your dad. But anyway, uh, well, uh, actually, it was 1975, Ben, that I ran into my first, I suppose you might call it a phantom house. Uh, even back then, I had serious doubts about the, the classic ideas of what ghosts really are and the idea that you could have so-called inanimate objects. I don't really believe there are any such things, but inanimate objects as we think of them, like houses, appear and disappear like ghosts was the clincher for me. It was paranormal events like those that led me toward the multiverse theories that we base our work on today. Yeah, because if, if it's the classical interpretation of it, ghosts are spirits of dead people, so they're spirits of clothes, uh, cars, whatever. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're dead houses. I mean, the uh, dead houses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who you talk yeah, to. Before we step, it's funny you should ask because we got a report from our uh, reporter in Connecticut who was saying that uh, all sorts of problems. You have to tell people. When you but when you sell them a house that their house is haunted, and this this particular state was Connecticut, and I said, well, the last I looked, that they had what what they jokingly call the haunted house statute. It's actually the the psychologically impacted property statute that says that you have to, uh, if if the person who's going to buy the house or wants to buy the house asks in writing whether there has been a death or or, or, or a suicide or a murder, you have to tell them in writing whether there has been. But when it comes to floating ashtrays or flying refrigerators, apparently that doesn't count. I thought so. Rhode Island that you had to tell somebody that. I believe that's true, too. Yeah, it's very similar to the Connecticut statute, as far as I know. Now, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't take my real estate advice. But the, the last I looked, that was the case. But in any case, uh, speaking of phantom buildings. Uh, All right, so what's the deal with phantom buildings or houses or whatever? Okay, well, I, I really started with answering that question for myself anyway in the summer after that awful Bridgeport, Connecticut case, 1975, that, that was in 74, but the following summer was 75, of course, uh, that awful poltergeist case uh, where I had been injured and that shook me up in all kinds of other ways, too, naturally. Uh, I thought I'd seen everything, but it turned out that the weirdness was just beginning. I was visiting that summer with friends in rural Vermont. Uh, it was in July and uh, not far from the village of Enosburg Falls. Uh, ironically, the place was named after one of our relatives, Roger Eno, a Revolutionary War general who was once accused of treason by, of all people, Benedict Arnold. Only an Eno could accomplish that. Quite a story. Anyway, 
Uh, back in 75, we were lounging on the porch uh, one evening when a red pickup truck arrived in a cloud of dust. Now, we expected these people to visit. They were uh, two fellows um, who were surveyors from another part of Vermont, and they had driven up to meet me because they'd heard about this Bridgeport case on the news and the previous uh, November, of course, and had driven up to see me because they were curious about something they had experienced themselves. And again, uh, they had their own story, and it was something I had never encountered before. And it was, um, I was the first person they, they told it to because they'd been afraid to mention it to their colleagues, naturally. Uh, the previous summer, that would have been the summer of 74, these two fellows were getting ready to survey boundaries for a farmer in the town of Johnson, about 20 miles south of where we sat. They were, as they call it, walking the bounds with a U.S. geological survey map of the area. And it was early afternoon, and they had come out of some woods and were walking downhill through a field. Now, ahead of them, they said they were very surprised to see, at the edge of some more woods on the other side of a dirt road, a large old farmhouse that wasn't on the government map. Now, in areas like this, certainly every building in rural areas is pretty much on these maps if it's been there for more than 10, 15 years or so. Uh, the two fellows uh, completed their walk down to the dirt road at the end of the field, only about 40 feet from this house. They said it was very dilapidated and surrounded by a stone wall, but they said there was smoke uh, coming out of the chimney, even though it was a warm day, and there was washing drying on the line. They said the place looked as though it had never been painted, but obviously someone was living there. Now, oddly, uh, there were no cars, no electrical wires, no television antenna, as you would see in a typical 1970s house, because people didn't have cable then. And uh, that's when they saw the man coming around the corner of the house with an axe over his shoulder. He was thin, had a kind of a broad-brimmed hat, and a big black beard. Now, the two surveyors told me, quote, I remember this from my notes, the whole scene was strange, unquote. Now, curious about where this home's property lines were, one of the men called to the fellow with the axe, and then took a few steps toward the stone wall, but the bearded man didn't seem to hear or see him. The guy stooped to look at the, something on the ground, and then he stood up again and then looked around as if he thought he'd heard something, but wasn't sure. He just uh, didn't seem to see the two men standing in the road, who by this time were starting to feel kind of uncomfortable. I remember one of them told me, well, there's still a lot of strange people in these hills, so they... Uh, kind of shook their heads and just figured the retreat was the best uh, thing they should do. Now, a few days later, they said the surveying job itself began. But when our two heroes got back to that field and that road, they were shocked to see that the house was gone. They insisted that they hadn't made a mistake about where they were. I mean, these guys are surveyors for Pete's sake. And one of the men happened to be at the Johnson Town Hall a few days later and still kind of shaken up about this, made some inquiries. Hey. Sorry. Right. Uh, according to town records, there had been an old house on that road, but it had burned down in 1910. The day after our conversation on that porch in 1975, these fellows took me to the site. Now, several turns off the main road, we came to a little lane that kind of meandered off toward the nearby mountains. It was so rutted and muddy that we had to kind of plow along in their truck using four-wheel drive. <clears throat> well, uh, one of them said, there it is, or was. And I remember uh, th that uh, he was pointing out the window toward the roadside on the left. We left the truck at that point and approached what I could see were the remains of a stone wall and an old foundation, and my two companions still seemed spooked. I noticed uh, 
plant life around the creeping flocks and dwarf pine trees. Uh, these like a rocky ground and are common at abandoned home sites in New England, especially where there have been fires. I kicked around the place but found nothing unusual. I did notice that a few of the old foundation stones were blackened. I left just as mystified as I'd come. Uh, I had no reason to doubt that two, the two men had told me the story uh, truthfully, but I did doubt that I had even begun to fathom the true depths of the paranormal. Well, today, of course, I'd say that my acquaintances had been eye-to-eye -eye with a multiversal event, what might be called a time slip, and since then I've collected many such cases. So here's a question for you, or riddle me this, if you will. Um, why is it, I mean, the multiverse explains this completely, but why is it that some of these events seem to correlate with events that actually happened in this world? Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a very good question. Well, one of the answers to that is there are many, 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 many versions of this world. You have to define what you mean by this world. I don't really think there is a this world. Every, every time we experience anything, we're going through different possibilities, different probabilities, different, really different universes. So constantly it's constantly changing from moment Exactly. Moment. Yeah. Because yeah. um, remember, we call them world families. Mm. Now, if, you're, if, you, if you pass from one, one instant to the next through your world family, you don't really notice any differences. Although then you, don't, you don't know what's going on in India at the time. But if you, if, you, if you pass through worlds and somehow something, electromagnetics, whatever, a terrible event throws you off, things could start to get weird. You could have a house disappear. Remember that guy that wrote to us from, who wrote to us from Ontario who said he woke up one morning, his furniture was rearranged, and there was a house in a lot in back of his house that had never been there before, and his family thought he was nuts when he brought it up. So yeah. that, that, that's the kind of thing. And uh, also, uh, I mean, so whether it's happening in this world or another world, I mean, it, it really, every minute is really another world. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. Oh, yeah, that, make, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah. I should actually know that from reading the Dalai Lama's book, which sort of... Says oh, yeah, you, you really experience all this yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I just thought, I, I just think it's kind of weird that, like, the first thing that uh, the pop paranormal people go for is like, oh... A terrible event happened in this house, and sometimes that actually correlates with the paranormal phenomena that goes on. Oh well, well that that could be true in a way because you know, as as we put it, when something such as well the real estate law are talking about an event such as a suicide or a murder or something really traumatic that, as we say, sends out echoes across space time, or you know, ripples reverberate in places where maybe it never even happened or hasn't happened yet, and people will pick it up. Because people are tied into the multiverse. That's part of our survival instinct. That's how we live. Uh, and they might pick that. So, yeah, that, that, that could be – there is something to be said for that. Oh, okay. But not for the reasons they, they say. Well, now back to disappearing places. Sure. <laughs> All right. So the guy from the past, uh, if that's what he was, a guy from the past, mm. he couldn't see these surveyors, but maybe he heard them a little? Yeah, it could be. Uh, look at some of the things that happen, uh, even to us. You know, we, uh, you know, I, I, I very often sit here, and, uh, you know, we're in our, our uh, little lair here, but, uh, you know, upstairs, I'll hear people walking around, and nobody's home. I know, but I don't think anything of it, because it's normal. I mean, the universes are passing through. Uh, look at our good friend in Connecticut, or I was talking about the real estate law with. Uh, she is uh, Donna, our famous reporter in, in that, that case we're always talking about. And they're always hearing things. 
but not necessarily seeing things. So, yeah, I think this fellow may have, um, may have been experiencing just what you say. Uh, he himself might have been having a minor ghost experience because I find that they see us or hear us as we often see them because we're looking each across boundaries of worlds that are not part of our own world families, and we're seeing what to us would be the past or the future or whatever. So, yeah, I think that uh, he experiences the glimpse uh, through very thin boundaries between these worlds. And uh, some of us are just afraid. I don't know. Some of us are, some of them are just afraid because they think we're ghosts. Others live in worlds where the laws of physics are such that experiences like that are, are more, uh, more normal. So I guess we are coming up upon our first break of the show. And you are listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio and NewSkyRadio.com. We'll continue our discussion of phantom places when we return. So stay with us. Enlighten, empower, enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons, no boundaries. Reluctantly crouched at the starting line. Engines pumping and thumping in time. The green light flashes, the flags go up. Churning and burning, they yearn for the cup. They deftly maneuver and muscle for rank. Fuel burning fast on an empty tank. Reckless and wild, they pour through the turns. Their prowess is potent and secretly stern. As they speed through the finish, the flags go down. The fans get up and they get out of town. The arena is empty, except for one man still driving and striving as fast as he can. The sun has gone down and the moon has come up. And long ago, somebody left with the cup. But he's driving and striving and hugging the turns and thinking of someone for whom he still burns. He's gone. The distance. He's going for speed. She's all alone. All alone in a time of need. Because he's racing and pacing and plotting the course. He's fighting and fighting and riding on his horse. He's going the distance. of doubt and remorse assail him impale him with monster truck force in his mind he's still driving still making the grade she's hoping in time that her memories will fade cause he's racing and pacing and plotting the course he's fighting and fighting and riding on his horse the sun has gone down and the moon has come up and long ago somebody left with the cup but he's striving and driving and hugging the turns and thinking of someone for whom he still burns cause he's going the distance Speed. 
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. So welcome back to Behind the Paranormal where our guest is my dad. All right. So we already sort of touched upon this question. So I don't even know if we should even ask it or not. So let's just skip Up it. Up to you. Okay. Well, we already asked it, so let's skip it. So uh, can you tell us about some cases where people have actually walked into the worlds they have seen? Uh, Yeah, I'm thinking, too, of there are a number of cases of that, but one I I wanted to start with was about islands, phantom islands. Now, for sailors, there have always been stories about phantom islands, and it's hard to say that all of them were marine mirages. I mean, there actually are such things. These include the Isle of Demons, Emerald Island, not referring to Ireland, St. Brendan's Island, Brazil with an S, and many more, including the mother of all phantom islands, Atlantis. Mm. In the 19th century, several groups of sailors reported visiting an island known as the, the Green Meadows of Enchantment. But when they put back to sea, the islands disappeared. Rather upsetting. Uh, in Puerto Rico in 1984, I spoke with two retired sailors, both in their 80s, who swore that they once visited uh, Bermeja, an island charted by the Spanish in the 1500s, but that had apparently disappeared by the 1840s. I'm sure that many of these stories resulted from vivid imaginations after months or even years at sea, sometimes with no relief from the tropical heat. Uh, The longest I was ever at sea in the military was two and a half months, and we were going stir-crazy. Then again... Uh, there are some pretty bizarre seismic phenomena that can occur. You and I were recently in Iceland, and mm. the, the landscape there is terrifying from that point of view. Yeah. Uh, islands rise and fall all the time. Uh, I remember the, the, the uh, television news of CNN uh, years ago followed a volcanic eruption in Iceland that literally expanded the country. All the lava poured in and made more land. Uh, I can't remember quite where it was in, in Iceland, but that's what happened. Um, uh, so anyway, uh, there is, of course, the multiverse as an explanation, in some cases at least, where things to us are constantly coming and going from spoons and car keys to people and even islands. Uh, the car keys, that, that's the uh, realm of the car key gnomes. That's right. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yes, they're part of the multiverse. Very so wait, important. wait, wait. Let's talk about this island of demons here. Like... <laughs> Well, that, that's, you know, I don't know an awful lot about some of these things. Now, I never, the Coast Guard did, did not, not apparently have jurisdiction over the Island of Demons. I believe that was in the, supposed to be in the Pacific, and uh, people would, would uh, land there. It, it was in an area of, uh, well, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was in an area known as the doldrums in the Pacific. This is where uh, the trade winds would sort of die, and people would just be marooned when the days of sailing ships. And they were all, uh, there were also the uh, areas of the horse latitudes, as they were called, because they, were, they wouldn't be able to feed or have enough water for the horses and the people, so they throw the horses overboard. This, that happened to the Spanish, because that was in the Atlantic mostly. No, no, I actually was in the Pacific, as I recall. I haven't been there lately. But uh, mm. in any case, uh, these, this place w- would uh, you'd land, and, and you'd it'd end up uh, having screeches and things, almost something out of, out of uh, the, you know, the Odyssey. Sinbad or something. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, things would chase you, and you'd run, and that place would disappear. So, although you'd be usually glad of it in that case. Mm. So, uh, yeah, these are all mostly things I'm sure are legends. But hey, if it can be conceived, it exists in the multiverse. So, who knows? Yeah, well, I've always sort of wondered, um, like all these, like if you look at the old old cartography and stuff, like mm. old maps of like the oceans and stuff. How much of that stuff actually existed? Yeah. 
like mermaids and things like that. And we don't really know. We can't really call it like poppycock because we haven't seen it for ourselves. Well, we have satellite mapping now, and they still run into things they haven't seen. There are still there are still parts of the planet that have not been explored. If you can believe it, it's mm. true. It's like uh, I don't know where this was. There's one part of India where. I think it's India. It might be northern India, like in the vast jungles where there's all these really weird, like, stalactites. And people go with, like, teams of 25 because they can't really fit because it's like there are just these spikes everywhere of rock. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. That's weird. Don't and they, know every time they go there, they find five new species of, like, random Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're still finding species, new species in the Amazon. Yeah, so how much of this stuff still exists today and we just don't yeah. know about it yet? Well, we don't know anything. That's, the, that's mm. the thing. So how about other phantom buildings that people have actually entered and even slept in? Oh, yeah. Okay, sure. Uh, well, during one of the most interesting incidents uh, – would uh, this happen to an English couple, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Clifford Pye, in 1933? Uh, they were on vacation in the county of Cornwall in England's extreme southwest, very beautiful place. Uh, one day they took a bus trip from the Wade Bridge, which is a loud, a loud town, a large, maybe it's loud too, a large town on the River Camel large, loud town. to Boss Castle, or I'm, I think it might be pronounced Bow Castle, I'm not sure. I uh, haven't been there lately either. The bus stopped for a break at a large inn that was sort of overlooking the village below. And then the bus took them on. Uh, they were so taken with this hilltop inn that Mrs. Pye uh, hiked all the way back up the hill later to book them for the night. But when they got to the top of the hill, the inn was gone. Uh, grumbling that his wife had no sense of direction, Mr. Pye later hiked up the hill with her, and they had gone into this building. Uh, there was only a field where the inn had been. Of course, the Pyes were completely flummoxed. Now, back in the village, they asked around, only to be told that there was no such place anywhere in the area. Wow. <laughs> What's really odd about this case is how the bus stopped at the inn, so it wasn't just the pies who visited the place. Well, exactly. Uh, this has crossing world boundaries written all over it, in my opinion. As a matter of fact, it sounds to me that Mr. and Mrs. Pie crossed the boundary from a world where the inn existed to one where it did not. That's, that could have been the only difference between the whole world, you know, the universe. quite a day trip. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. There are always reasons why certain areas are prone to weird happenings. Just the thing... We ourselves were researching in England last fall. Now, uh, Boss Castle or Bow Castle is a stone's throw from Tintagel, a place that has all kinds of legends about King Arthur. And uh, we saw Glastonbury Tour ourselves. Yeah. And the whole area is rife with witchcraft legends. As a matter of fact, there's even a museum of witchcraft in that village. Queen Mab? Uh, I don't know if she's there personally, but uh, who uh. knows. Uh, there are reasons why legends cling to certain areas. Now, there's another case from England, Ben, also from the... Early 30s that uh, has always intrigued me, too, and happened in Wiltshire, in the south-central part of the country where Stonehenge is. On a particular Sunday afternoon, a young girl was bicycling, bicycling to another village to see a friend, and she was traveling on one of those old Roman roads that are still used in modern times. Just like in America, a lot of people don't realize that even some of the interstate highway system follows old Native American trails. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, a sudden rainstorm came up, and the, the, the kid, whose name was Edna, said that she rode up to a, a very cute thatched cottage she had never noticed before, and she knocked on the door. She was soaking wet. Now, according to Edna, a funny old man with a funny old beard and the thick kind of uh, gray hair answered the door, and she said he was wearing an old-fashioned dark green coat with shiny buttons, and he was smoking a pipe. Ah, so the leprechaun. I don't know. He kindly invited Edna inside until the rain stopped. Well, she found a comfortable living room 
lit by a wood fire, kind of an old-fashioned fireplace, and she was a little alarmed that the room was completely silent. Oddly enough, the man smiled at her in a genial way, but didn't say anything. Uh, she could hear no other sound, uh, not even the fire or the storm outside. And the next thing she knew, Edna was back on the road, bicycling along. And there was no sign of the storm. She didn't remember leaving the college cottage or saying goodbye to the old man. Oddly, when Edna reached her friend's house, she was completely dry. And she told her friend all about the cottage and where it was. And the friend was astonished, telling Edna that the only cottage on that stretch of road was in ruins and hadn't been lived in for 50 years. Now, she revisited the site a week later. Uh, Edna was uh, horrified and saw that her friend was right. So, but what struck me about that was the fact she couldn't hear anything. Yeah, yeah, that's really weird. I mean, not even a fire. Like, that's no, that's weird. very odd. You know, what if the man actually said something before she walked in, like inviting her in? No, but, no, didn't hear a thing. It's complete silence. The way I heard it. That's weird. Yeah, exactly. Well, so, that's the whole. That's why we're talking about. Uh, yeah, yeah, there we go. Yep. Unusual of the unusual. Exactly. So once in a while, a, per, a person contacts us, or people contact us, rather, about experiences they've had that are very similar to that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I remember one from 1996. Uh, you were a, a romping uh, four years old. Mm. Uh, I spoke to a large group of senior citizens in Providence, Rhode Island, and after my talk, a woman came up to me with a story that gave new meaning to the term ghost town, you might say. Um she seemed very nervous as she told me this story. She was very thorough. She had even written down some notes. Uh, I remember her saying, after you hear this, uh, I want you to be honest. Do you think my husband and I are both crazy? It's a question we get all the time. And uh, anyway, I, t I took uh, notes during the whole conversation, and here's the story I heard. Uh, the couple, both retired from a major bank in these parts, had been traveling in the American Southwest that previous summer. Avid history and archaeology buffs, uh, they decided to visit a few ghost towns or towns that were abandoned after whatever was powering their economy dried up. Sounds like uh, Rhode Island about now. Mm. Uh, maybe a, a mine gave out uh, or the local farmers gave up on the soil or moved somewhere else. Uh, most of these towns have been abandoned for decades. Well, I said they were in Utah. And they had an old book about ghost towns uh, in Utah, and they were headed west down U.S. Route 6. Uh, we found the old town of Lindo with no trouble, she said. Uh, there were two fascinating old buildings in the town. still has a few residents and a farm or two, she said at the time. Uh, they met a local retiree who told them about the history of the town, and then they asked him how to get to their next stop. That was the ghost town of Woodard less than 20 miles farther down Route 6. 20 miles was nothing at the time. The man gave us a kind of a funny look, uh, she told me. And uh, you won't find anything there, he said. There's nothing left. We decided to stop there anyways. There were bound to be some artifacts. All right, so uh, what are we doing on time? Okay, we've got a few. We have about four minutes. On their way again that afternoon, they turned off the road uh, toward this Woodard. And they went down an old dirt road and passed a shack or two in a boarded-up farmhouse. Uh, they were surprised to find they were approaching a good-sized town all of a sudden. There was a neat sign that said, Welcome, or uh, some other word, Woodard, she said. But Welcome was spelled wrong, W-E-L-K-O-M. And there seemed to be kind of a, a lot of activity. Uh, she said that her husband said, Some ghost town. And as they drove up to an unpaved but well-maintained Main Street was apparently the main street between a line of wooden buildings with modern sidewalks and lovely decorative lampposts, she said. 
but something was wrong. Uh, she said, quote, there was something funny about all the cars. Uh, they were all a dull silver color, it sounds like today, <laughs> and were really boxy with sharp angles. That's funny. It sounds and, like today. Yeah, and they didn't make any noise. We figured they might be electric. Uh, the people, she said, looked relatively normal, but they themselves were drawing stares as they glided up the street in their red GMC van. They pulled up in front of a small restaurant and got out. People passing by on the sidewalk seemed to be trying not to stare, but a group of preteen boys had no such manners. Uh, we were feeling increasingly uncomfortable, she told me, but we had to use the restrooms. Inside, they found a spacious and homey restaurant with lots of beautifully decorated tables. Uh, there were quite a few people, many of whom looked at them curiously, but many of these smiled and nodded in a friendly manner. Uh, they caught snatches of conversation. Then it hit them. Uh, and she said, these people aren't speaking English. <clears throat> My husband said, frankly, <clears throat> I didn't want to stay here, but curiosity got the best of us. Uh, they found the restrooms, then chose a table. The real shocks came when they opened the menu. They couldn't understand a word. It looked like German, but it wasn't. The other shock was the prices. Sandwiches were all 50 cents each. Uh, Boy, lead be, me to it. Must be Iceland. <clears throat> We knew there were Am this is her quote again. We knew there were Amish and Mennonite communities in Utah. She told me, but these weird cars and those amazing prices. Just then, a pleasant, heavily built, red-faced man approached the table. She said, "I will never forget this moment if I live to be a hundred." Uh, the woman wrote this down for me. The man said something like, "Goda midag, what ga etten." And when we responded in English, the guy acted stunned and couldn't understand. We ended up pointing to the pictures of what we wanted on the menu. And we're going to have to eat after we take we're this next have to break. Eat after. <laughs> or Etten, whatever. So, anyway, we were, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, newskyradio.com. We're talking about phantom buildings. And we'll be back shortly with them if they don't disappear first. Stay with us. Enlighten, empower, enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons, no boundaries.
CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal. With Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Well, welcome back. And we're in the midst of our story of a poor couple from Rhode Island who happened to be ghost town Surfing. devotees. Yeah, and they were in Utah and happened to uh, walk into an area, uh, drive into an area that was supposed to be completely abandoned and found a bustling town where people were speaking weird languages and were uh, driving strange cars and they couldn't even read the menu. Anyway, uh, we got as far as the menu. And uh, when the woman told me this in 1996, uh, she was describing their experience and she said that the man who came to wait on them sound in a restaurant sounded as though he was speaking Dutch. They had Dutch friends and kind of were familiar with the sound of the language. Uh, actually, uh, she said she sent the words to a Dutch friend uh, shortly thereafter, and according to the friend, uh, the fellow in the restaurant sounded like he was simply saying, good afternoon, what will you have? Oh, sorry. Uh, I, I just crushed my son's hand. Um, and my friend added, added, she said, welcome, which was on the, the, sound, the, the sign as they entered the town, is how you spell welcome in Dutch. Now, they thought, again, Mennonites or Amish in this area, uh, there were some in Utah. They do speak a form of low German that resembles Dutch, so these people certainly could have been Mennonites. But she said she was not aware of any such community in America that's so isolated that they don't speak English. Uh, even in 1996, that would have been inconceivable. And from the description I was given, these people certainly didn't dress like Mennonites. Now, on the way again that afternoon, they turned off the main road toward Woodard, um, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, actually, they were driving out of Woodard. And, uh, yes, we were. But first, uh, what else happened? Uh, they were, uh, okay, well, yeah, they, they finished their sandwiches, which seemed uh, entirely normal and rather good, and they got ready to leave. Uh, the same man uh, that, who had taken their order was at the rather odd-looking white metal cash register, she said. And she said, uh, here's what she said, when my husband handed... The guy, a $5 bill, he looked back at us in confusion and said something like, and she wrote this down too, Duna vi dit net accepter. And, some, and seeming annoyed, he tapped his finger on the counter. 
We were getting frightened at this point, the woman said, and my husband fished around in his pocket, and I dug through my pocketbook and came up with eight quarters. Uh, the man didn't seem pleased, but he looked at them curiously and accepted them as payment. Maybe he thought they were actual silver. <laughs> Maybe. After that, we beat a hasty retreat, quote-unquote. Little does he know, most of that is cobalt. Yeah. They were even more shaken up when they saw a crowd gathered around their van, which was, of course, red, and all the other cars in the town were gray. They were looking through the windows and touching it, and people were pointing the license plates. That was it. We were out of there, the woman told me. Well, people backed off. The couple got into the van and drove slowly away. As she said, we didn't want to get arrested for speeding. God knows what their local jail would have been like, unquote. <laughs> and I was telling Ben that the woman's hands were shaking as she was telling me this. Uh, the dirt road back to Route 6 seemed longer than they remembered, but they finally made it to Cedar City, uh, where they stayed the night. That's a real town. Uh, the, in our world, that is. They were still shaken up the next day when, in the hotel lobby, they got talking with a fellow who turned out to be well-versed on Utah tourism in general and the state's ghost towns in particular. When they started to tell him, almost reluctantly, about where they had been the previous day, he looked at them patiently and explained that they couldn't have been in Woodard. Uh, there hadn't been a soul living there for going on 50 years, he said, and there were no buildings left either. In fact, there was no water. Uh, to me, the woman continued, we were either crazy or we left this world. Uh, she couldn't certainly didn't seem crazy to me, and I told her so, but she and her husband certainly could have stumbled across one of those ever-present boundaries of, the peril of a parallel world, one where Woodard, Utah, is still a prosperous town with good sandwiches, really weird cars, and people who speak Dutch like an episode of the twilight zone <laughs> sure, that's what it reminded me of amazing yeah, you can turn that into a book like my experience in yeah well again these people are terrified who knows how many of these things have happened and people are terrified to talk about it because this is too weird mm. so anyway when i was in the southwest of england in 1989 to continue about you know visiting these weird weird things. places uh, I was actually at the village of Chagford in Devon, a dear old Devon, where our relatives live. Uh, I came across a similar situation. About 30 years before I was there, two women were vacationing near this village and enjoyed walking in the surrounding wilderness areas of Dartmoor National Park. Wonderful place. It's where Sherlock Holmes set the Hound of the Baskervilles, and it's certainly a, an appropriate setting for a story like that. Anyway, one day these ladies found two large and beautiful cottages in this area, and they were so taken by them that they decided to ask the owners if they would rent them a room for a night or two. Farmers usually did that in those days. Maybe they, they actually, some of them still do. Uh, when they knocked on the door of the cottages, one of the cottages, there was a pleasant young girl who answered and let them in. Uh, they noticed at once that the furniture was antique. Uh, they also saw a large white cat with striking green eyes and an odd black bird in a cage. Uh, a tall woman then came into the room and told the visitors that they didn't have any rooms available at the moment, but that they might be some later in the season. So the following summer, the women happened to be back in the Chagford area and went looking for the cottages, hoping to have a better luck uh, renting rooms from the people, uh, but they couldn't find the cottages. So very confused, they asked some of the good Chagford folk what was going on, and were told, oh, you must have seen the vanishing cottages. Now, I was told by the good folk of Chagford and many years later that these cottages still appear only about every 10 or 12 years. Now, I drove as close as I could to the site and then set out across the moor, but unfortunately, I did not have the experience. Uh, oddly, it was too bad, I think, because I was hungry. Uh, oddly, the location is almost within sight of the Scorehill Stone Circle, a circle of prehistoric standing stones where I did have some weird experiences. Uh, none of the photos I took within that circle came out, 
because uh, we were still using film in 1989. And I witnessed a long line of men on foot and on horseback passing up from behind a hill less than a quarter mile away. Now, it was a very dreary and rainy weekday afternoon in March, so I doubted if it was tourists. So, I don't know, who knows? We've talked about that on other shows, I believe. Well, didn't you also hear from uh, four people who had an experience pretty similar to that? Uh, well, yes, actually, I heard uh, from the uh, Gisbys and the Simpsons in 1980. Uh, they had just had an experience that changed their lives. Uh, the previous October, the two couples had been driving around southern France. Uh, one day, they couldn't find a hotel vacancy on the main drag, so they turned off the road and soon found themselves in a village called uh, Cucold, I believe it's pronounced, which is very small. Uh, they parked their car on some bare ground, then walked across the road and checked into a lovely, old-fashioned hotel. Uh, they said that part of the wall in the lobby was decorated with very old circus posters that somehow didn't look old. The hotel manager who checked them in was dressed in antique clothes, including a shirt with no collar and an old pair of pants with metal fly buttons. And he spoke to them in broken English. Uh, they went down to dinner and found the food and drink they ordered served, which was very good, uh, served on ancient plates and in tankards. Uh, naturally, they were delighted by the old-fashioned ambiance of this place. Uh, their rooms were just as antique as the rest of the place, with no phones or TVs. As a matter of fact, there was no electricity in the place at all, just candles and oil lamps. The windows didn't have any glass, just wooden shutters, and still they said they spent a very comfortable and peaceful night because the beds were unbelievably comfortable. At breakfast, they were treated to the sight of a couple in 19th century clothes who walked in, and there were two policemen who came in in old uniforms. Now, Mr. Gisby asked one of the police officers directions back to the highway. He used the French word, autoroute. This confused the cop, who didn't seem to know what a modern highway was. And he used the term motorway, too, in English, which is what the, the, the Brits call highways. And uh, the guy just gave up and sort of just pointed in the direction of Avignon. Now, I found it interesting that the man pointed in the opposite direction from which Mr. Gisby knew Avignon to be. Now, when our four friends, maybe they just wanted to get rid of them, and those weird, weird people. Uh, when our four friends went to check out, they had another shock. They expected their combined hotel and food bill to be 250 francs or better, and this is the days before the dear old euro came on the scene. But the bill was only 19 francs, including the food. Now, oddly, very oddly to me, the manager did not seem particularly curious about their modern currency. Now, I did a little research, and a 20-franc coin from the 1970s, which is what they paid him with, didn't look all that different from one minted in the 1890s, especially if it had seen better days and was a little bit worn. Well, strangely, nobody seemed to comment on their car, the one they saw clearly during their whole experience sort of parked across the road. Um, maybe it was outside the world boundary to which they were still connected, but the natives weren't. Who knows? Before leaving, the two men snapped some pictures of their wives and themselves in front of the hotel. When they had the film developed, the pictures, uh, five of them to get all together, weren't there. Five pictures, uh, two of them snapped pictures, one, one snapped three, and one snapped two, and they just weren't there when the pictures were developed. On the way home, they decided to stay at the hotel again, uh, but, are you surprised, couldn't find it after a thorough search. Now, in 1983, they went back to the same village and did manage to find the road. They commented that the trees were much bigger than they remembered from only a few years before. They found the hotel site, too, with just the ruins of an old building standing there. The locals told them that they didn't remember 
what building, uh, what the building had been, but they did recall that the building next to it had once been the local police station. You know, people could have been experiencing a time slip, but there's got to. It seems like all of these experiences people have are relatively benign. Well, uh, we don't know that. Some of them, some of them probably don't come back. Oh yeah, that's true. I mean, the ones we do <clears throat> hear about at least seem relatively pleasant. Yeah, seemingly. Yeah. Uh, well, there there are some that are not. There was another case. Uh, this is also from England of, of a fellow walking out his door, and finding himself in a different neighborhood, and it was not pleasant at all. He ended up being taken to the police station because they thought he was bonkers or drunk or something, and uh, they they finally let him out because they couldn't really stick him with any charge, and uh, he went. He kind of blundered back to his neighborhood, uh, and it was it was his his neighborhood again. Everything was normal, and he. Um, he just w- was missing for hours and hours, and nobody knew where he was, and apparently he was in some parallel reality. That, that seems to be... Parallel police station. Well, I, I, yeah, exactly. He said everything was weird, you know, uh, you know, the clothes were different, all that kind of thing. So it was really, really, really strange. So th- these things, I think these things happen all the time. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, there you go. And I think we, we often don't notice them, so who knows? Mm. But anyway, we are coming up on another break. We'll be right back on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio and NewSkyRadio.com. We'll continue our discussion of phantom places, disappearing buildings, and this sort of thing. And we'll be right back. Enlighten. Empower. Enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons. No boundaries.
This girl listens to the band play. She says, where have you been? I've been lying right here on the floor. Well, I got all this time to be waiting for what is mine to be Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. So welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And we are talking of Phantom Places or the Phantom Toll Booth or Phantom whatever, any sort of place that may have existed somewhere, someone, or whatever. So please continue, Dad, with your with more examples of these phantom places. Oh, sure. Well, well one thing that's uh, sometimes asked is can people literally get stuck in places like this? We've talked about a number of examples of people you know, staying in hotels. And as you pointed out, these are all relatively pleasant experiences. Well, there are some that are not pleasant. People encounter, uh, as I've heard uh, inexplicable creatures and, and things that scare them and places that are not so pleasant. Of course, one wonders about the uh, the Bigfoot experience or the abduction experience. Is this really the same thing? Is it really, you know, have you crossed a world boundary or somebody met you halfway or crossed into your world and, and they uh, interact with you in a way that may be pleasant, maybe not pleasant, and some of them may, be, may have no idea what's happening. So yeah, maybe, um, the, maybe Big Feet are just sort of just get stuck here and then leave. Well, I've often wondered what, why is it that because we're getting a off topic here, but what, why is it that that you don't catch one, you don't have any dead bodies, uh, but you but you do sometimes find hairs and things of this kind, and there's, uh, as I understand, there's plenty of evidence uh, for their existence, and uh, it's it's well recognized by the authorities, but of course if they admitted it, they'd have to spend money to protect them, and they don't want to do that, so whatever the case may be, uh, they do seem to come and go. And many of the natives call them shapeshifters, yeah. and they will say they do come and go between worlds. Any shaman uh, who knows about the subject will probably tell you that. It makes me think of Futurama, where like they, the parks department of like the world like recognizes Bigfoot's existence, and like he's protected by law, so you can maybe see him. <laughs> well, actually, in the state of Washington, he is protected by law. Really? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. The, the Washington state legislature some years ago passed a. Uh, a, a bill that said you cannot uh, molest or shoot or otherwise bother the uh, Sask- North American Sasquatch. I think I don't can't remember the exact wording, but it's pretty pretty cool anyway. But uh, you know there are other explanations for these experiences. Uh, people might be just plain nuts or uh, massive and expensive hoaxes, or just people just get lost. Uh, but there are far too many examples of it to ignore. I think again it happens very very frequently. But as with anything short of our furniture floating in the air, we tend to ignore multiversal phenomena because we just can't deal with it. Uh, how do we know that every one of those people passing on the street uh, or every building or vehicle we pass is, quote, really there? I, I mean, always think about that. Yeah, I always. do too. <laughs> you remember the guy who wrote in from, I believe it was from um, somewhere in New England anyway, and he said he'd, he'd driven to work 20 years, gone by this house that was red. I should say blue. 
and all of a sudden he went by it and it was red. Red. No, blue. Yeah, blue. Red. Yeah. <laughs> yeah reference to um, Monty Python. Holy Grail. Anyway, uh, this was not to Sir Galahad or anybody, just a guy going to work. And he happened to know the owner of the house. He said, what did you paint the house? I said, what do you mean? It's been red for 20 years. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I feel as if this stuff may... Well, this stuff happens... Stuff like this happens every day. Like, everything's constantly changing from moment to moment. Yeah, but if it's really dramatic, then we notice it. Yeah, well, I think... I always point this out on the show. Like, every... Often I point this out with that line from Beetlejuice that's like... They don't see you because they don't want to see you. Yeah, you know, it's very tr- funny. In, in the the military, we were trained that the secret of invisibility, and this is simplifying it, but the secret of invisibility is being where, where people do not expect to see you. Mm. So, I mean, that's – it really it works, too. So, you know, like right in front of them? Almost. You know, I've, I've stood in places, and you imagine yourself – well, you, this is certain training that you have uh, – you, you tell yourself, like, I am the wind in the grass, you know. And, 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 yeah, I've been very close to being, and they haven't seen me. You know, this is weird. So, I mean, in a way, I don't know. If it's, I don't quite think that the people involved in some of these extreme cases of staying in hotels that didn't exist in our own world were doing that sort of thing. But nevertheless, it's, uh, it was pretty, pretty strange. That is pretty strange. Anyway, so, um, the, and I'm thinking, too, did we mention the, the yeah, the, the, remember the fellow who wrote to us? Who was from? I believe he's from Ontario, and he said he woke up one morning and is. Uh, yeah, we, we were yeah, during we, a we break. No, Did we? Yeah, we went down at the beginning of the show. Oh, okay. I, I'm, I'm, the great thing about being old is you forget stuff. So, like when I get about, upset about something and worry about it, it only lasts a few minutes, and I forget about it. It's great. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I live a very peaceful life right now. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so yeah, so maybe you know, so I. But when we talk about these things, I very carefully check my old notes and, and stuff and. All that, so I, I'm. Well, one know, of these stories we mentioned before, like the Dutch people, but this is more, more of an in-depth, in-depth version of the story. But you've you've had to hear some interesting things while you were out to sea. Well, that's it. We were uh, my longest voyage, as I say, was about two and a half months. That was on a submarine, and I can't talk about it. But there was one in the Coast Guard where I was uh, in the Caribbean and uh, in the so-called Bermuda Triangle, mm. which is a very strange place. Compasses sometimes. Uh, one time, the compass on the bridge would just kind of going doing some very weird things. And in Puerto Rico especially, I talked to a lot of people that had some strange things. We had that ferry incident. Oh, yeah. And uh, there are some reports in the Mona Passage uh, of that vicinity, which, of course, is a, is a body of water between two islands. And what it does is is uh, there, there are a lot of UFO reports, and there have been uh, some strange islands that have been reported there as well, getting back to the islands. Uh, at one point, we were visiting Navassa Island, which is more or less in that area. And it's claimed, interestingly enough, by the United States, Jamaica, and I think Haiti, I believe, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, they don't argue well because it's, it's, it's a rock. It's nothing. Nobody cares. But the U.S. Coast Guard maintains a, a lighthouse there, so we stopped. And I was amazed that there were fishermen who had come a hundred miles from Port-au-Prince in these little boats to fish there. And uh, we're out of time. But in any case, uh, I did not manage to talk to them. They speak a very for- strange form of Creole, but I have talked to fishermen like that, and they often have stories of places like this. And Navassa Island has its own reputation. So, But uh, we're out of time. We'll have, to, we'll have to do a show on sea stories. Oh, yeah, well, uh, being the old salt that I am. The sea. Our, exactly. Right, yeah. So many thanks to our producer, Brandon Jackson, and we will see you right here next week 
January 27th, when my dad and I will have a very exciting show planned for you. We'll be back on the Rendlesham Forest UFO case. And we will have a panel of local witnesses, or, well, local to England, yeah. uh, who have never been heard from. And some of uh, what they have to say is yeah, pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, before we leave the topic of pirates, so how come the... Uh kid wasn't allowed to go to the pirate movie because it was rated r right in the meantime forget what you just heard uh tune into our boston providence drive time show on on won 1240 a.m and onworldwide.com at 6 p.m eastern time every monday check out the almost 450 podcasts of past shows at behindtheparanormal.com they're all free all righty so we will leave you this evening with a thought from american author tennessee williams time is the longest distance between two places. So thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time.